across Hong Kong. This is Radio 3. Morning and welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. It's Wednesday the 16th of November at 8.03 in Hong Kong, which means it's time for the latest business and finance news. This is Peter Lewis. There's been more disappointing economic data from mainland China as industrial production weakened and retail sales fell in October. All three of China's main economic gauges for the month missed expectations. Industrial output growth was trimmed to 5% year on year. That was down from growth of 6.3% in September and below economists' forecasts of 5.2%. Retail sales retreated into negative territory for the first time since the Shanghai lockdown in May, declining half a percent year on year and well below economists' forecasts for a rise of 1%. There was also disappointing economic news from Japan as the nation's economy unexpectedly contracted in the third quarter. GDP shrank 1.2% compared with the same period last year, missing estimates for growth of 1.1% and compared with a growth of 4.6% in the second quarter. And economic data from the US on Tuesday provided further signs that inflation may be slowing. The producer price index, a measure of wholesale inflation, rose 0.2% in October from a month ago, the same rate as in September, and less than the 0.4% estimated by economists. On a year-on-year basis, PPI rose 8%, compared to an 8.4% increase in September. On Tuesday at the G20 summit, President Xi Jinping asked wealthy G20 nations to contain the fallout from interest rate hikes as the US Federal Reserve moves aggressively to fight inflation. President Xi also called on international financial institutions and commercial creditors to take part in debt reduction and suspension for developing countries. And the world's population reached 8 billion people yesterday and will hit 9 billion in 15 years, according to the latest UN data. The increase has been driven by a surge in the number of pensioners. The number of people aged 65 and over is expected to rise from 783 million this year to 1 billion by 2030 and reach 1.4 billion by 2043. The ageing population will put further strains on society's fiscal revenue and healthcare spending and the declining share of the working age population in advanced economies is expected to drag down growth and living standards. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street Tuesday, stocks rose for the third day in the past four following another economic report suggesting that US inflation could be slowing. The S&P 500 advanced 0.9% to 3,992. The Dow ended the day up 56 points or 0.2% at 33,593. The Nasdaq Composite gained 1.5% to close at 11,358. Stocks came off their highs following reports of Russian missiles exploding in Poland, killing two people. Russia denied that it was behind the rocket attack and accused Ukraine and the West of provocation. In Europe, the Stock 600 index rose 0.4%. London's FTSE 100 fell 0.2%. 
Hong Kong stocks have continued their November surge, with the Hang Seng Index rising to a seven-week high. The Hang Seng climbed for a third day to end 723 points, or 4.1 percent higher, at 18,343. That's the highest close since the 21st of September. And that takes its November rally so far to almost 25%, putting the index back into bull market territory. The tech index soared 7.3%, led by a 9% gain for EV manufacturer Xpeng. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index added 1.6% to 3,134. Elsewhere in the region, shares of Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing jumped almost 8% higher after it was revealed that Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway took a stake of 5.1 billion US dollars in the chipmaker. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 0.8% higher at $93.86 a barrel. Gold climbed half a percent to $1,780 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell nine basis points to 3.78%. And the US dollar is about a third of a percent weaker this morning against a basket of major currencies. The euro is trading at $1.3.5 cents. The bucks add 138.93 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.18.5 and nine Hong Kong dollars and 29 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 7.05 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin has rallied almost 3% today to $16,800. Asian stock markets are slipping at the, o- at the open. The ASX 200 in Australia is off a third of a percent. Stocks in Japan also just opened. There, the Nikkei 225 is down 0.1%. In Korea, the Cosby is down 0.2%. And futures markets pointing to a loss of 70 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times 8.09. Our panel of guests is scattered all over the world this morning, um, but firmly placed here in Hong Kong. We should find Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Oldcroft. Morning, Stuart. And yes, good morning to you. I am firmly placed in Discovery Bay today. Excellent. And up in Shanghai, we hopefully find William Ma, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. Morning to you, William. Good morning, Peter. And over in Washington, D.C. <laughs> is our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning to you, Barry, as well. Good morning, Peter and everyone. Right, a lot of economic data out over the past 24 hours. So let's start in China. Um, all three of China's main economic gauges for the month missed expectations. Industrial output growth. That includes the manufacturing, mining and utilities sectors, was trimmed to 5% year on year, rose by 0.3% month on month. That was down from growth of 6.3% year on year and below economists' forecasts of 5.2%. Retail sales slipped into negative territory for the first time since May when we had the Shanghai uh, lockdown, down half a percent year on year. Economists had been forecasting a rise of of 1%. And then China's January to October nationwide fixed asset investments, which is a measure of expenditure on items such as infrastructure, property, machinery and equipment, increased by 5.8% year on year. But that was down from 5.9% in September, also missing economists' estimates. Um, Maybe, Stuart, I can kick off, get your thoughts here. It seems data from China just can't seem to get a break at the moment, can we? It it all seems to be pointing um, to a slowdown. 
Well, yeah, exactly that. Well, it's not a great surprise, really, after we've seen so many lockdowns, such a large proportion of China's population, especially in the, in the major cities, all being locked down over the last year. And um, there's a general lack of confidence, I think, still in, among Chinese people to um, go out and spend, 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 as it were. Uh, so here we have um, economic data that is uh, generally quite poor. But I mean, the fact of the matter is that probably many of the forecasts were too optimistic in the first place. Uh, and William, I'm sure, will have a comment to say about that. But in, in many instances, it's, it's actually quite nice to see China admitting to numbers that are below the forecasts. And so it's giving us more confidence that the numbers coming out of China are, are a lot more accurate. And as you and I know, we've, we've been doing this a long time. We've had many times when we've um, been very doubtful that the numbers are accurate from China. Now we're getting a lot more confidence about the accuracy of those numbers. Mm, okay, well, William, you are up in Shanghai. Um, I think the big surprise out of this data was retail sales slipping uh, back into contraction, declining half a percent year on year. Uh, how are consumers feeling um, up in Shanghai? Are they, are they pessimistic? Yeah, I think, you know, things have changed, you know, after the party contrast. I think part of the weak number in consumer sales in October is because of the, you know, uh, 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 you know tight, you know, COVID policy be before the party congress. But uh, I think there are also some, you know, uh, a bright spot of recovery, if you like. If you look at the electricity consumption, is up by about 1.3% in October. And we are also seeing some leading indicator, you know, recovering. For example, we are seeing the glass uh, price increase by 5%, five, uh, 5%, which is uh, kind of like used by some of the uh, uh, buildings, you know, in which we are seeing, you know, property sector might be start, you know, recovering. And lastly, on consumption, uh, maybe because of the recovery of the Asia market, uh, recently, in these two, three days, I'm seeing a stack up of, you know, uh, online delivery from my colleagues. So mm. I think people are start buying it. It's not the bottom, but I think, you know, it recover a little bit, you know, in uh, November. So do you think some of these measures that we've seen announced over the last few days to try and relax slightly some of the COVID restrictions and then also to try and support the property sector, is that helping boost confidence, William? And do you think uh, that gives hope for the, uh, for the remaining couple of months of the year? Yeah, it did. If you look at the survey recently done by Haobai, you know, one of the largest, you know, online, you know, fund distribution on the uh, hedge fund manager in China, actually 65% of the fund manager reported those three announcements are critical to their decision and consider mm. a pivot, if you like. And secondly, we are monitoring a net exposure of the fund manager. We are seeing them increase from 75% last week to 80% you know, this week, meaning holding 20% cash, which is a recent peak, if you like. So I think from an investor sentiment perspective, definitely it's already a changing point. Okay. Barry, I want to bring you, there, there is a US aspect to this because we had some data on semiconductor outputs. China's output of semiconductors de uh, declined by the most on record in October, fell 26.7% uh, from a year ago. That's worse uh, than the slump that was seen of almost 25% in August. It's the biggest decrease since records began in 1997. 
One of the things uh, that's being uh, blamed for this is the U.S. tech export controls with uh, with the U.S. its Chips uh, Act trying to target high-tech exports to China. Um, it, it does seem that this is having an impact. Well, it's having an impact because uh, we've got a real problem in our semiconductor industry, even without the China export ban. And that is still going back to the supply chain and logistics. So I think that um, you've got a lagging industry here in the States and you've got lagging investment action, both in Ohio, Texas and Arizona. Mm -hmm. The semiconductor is under pressure and uh, I don't think that it's going to be uh, cleared anytime soon. Do you think as a result of the G20 summit and the, the meeting between President Biden and President Xi, um, there might be some softening um, of, of these actions against China? Well, that's a very key question because, let's face it, three hours plus between the two leaders is a very positive development. And, you know, you've got both sides saying no new Cold War. That's progress. But, you know, the Chinese would like the tariffs to be lifted no mention, no indication that that's going to happen. Nothing about semiconductors and what the United States put into place in October being changed. Now, we don't know a lot of the details that went on, but I will say this. When the two sides talk about special groups that would examine climate change, pandemic response, that is a positive signal as well. But I don't think it's going to have any direct influence on on the state of the global semiconductor industry, which only seems to be doing well in Taiwan and maybe in Japan. It's interesting, Barry, and I'm surprised you're not in Bali for this G20 meeting. I'm sure you would have wanted to be. Um, but it's interesting that we have got Warren Buffett buying into TSMC in Taiwan, um, putting in, what, four, four billion U.S. dollars to buy in a share stake there at the same time that China is not doing so well with its own semiconductor industry and um, it, it makes you think well maybe China's not producing the right semiconductors quite apart from the the, the export ban um, it's not producing the right ones because it, it, it's also been reported within China that it doesn't have enough for its own manufacturing industries anyway this is a real problem, and I think the only real booming area in semiconductors is indeed Taiwan. Now, Warren Buffett, four to five billion is nothing for him. He's got $100 billion of spare cash. So he wants to be there. There's certainly a, an endorsement of Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing industry. But uh, I'm not sure that it's going to be decisive. But uh, you're right. And would I like to be in Bali? You bet. This is a very important meeting, and, uh, but you can't be everywhere, can you, Stuart? Of course. No, of course not. <laughs> William, on the, on the semiconductor front, we've had um, SMIC, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corps, China's largest uh, chip maker. Uh, say that uh, clients are really reluctant at the moment to place new orders because consumer spending is weak, so they're not upgrading their smartphones or their consumer electronics um, goods. How much is all of this, the weak demand on the mainland, plus uh, the U.S. export controls um, impacting the semiconductor industry there? Yeah, I want to embody too. I think, you know, Peter, um, I think, you know, what Barry and Stuart mentioned is correct. 
meaning that you know um there is a uh, uh, like lose the demand globally you know for for a uh, kind of like end product i think that uh, that is also part of the reason why you know uh sdmc as you mentioned is not seeing you know good demand but having said that from a fund manager investor perspective you know in this round of rally we are seeing you know the chip maker in china rally most meaning that investors are following this maybe from a strategic kind of like investment perspective, not uh, from a global recession or end demand, you know, slowing down perspective. And what did you make of the uh, the President's uh, Xi, President Biden meeting at the G20 summit? How is that being uh, reported up on the mainland and, and how do you see that? Do you see it as a, a big positive development? Yeah, it's positive in a sense that, you know, uh, we see a smile, you know, from presidency as we discussed, you know, yesterday. And secondly, I think, you know, not wearing masks is uh, also important indicator. Thirdly, it's definitely the tone and the friendship, you know, is kind of like continue. I think that is important. And that is one of the three pillars, important three that, you know, drive up the rally yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things have changed, you know, from our perspective. Uh, Stuart, want to switch to Japan? What's gone wrong in Japan? The uh, G- the economy unexpectedly contracted in the third quarter, down one point two percent, compared with growth of four point six percent in the second quarter. Um, surprising because uh, the economy has been opening up, hasn't it? It's been welcoming tourists into the country, uh, reducing or eliminating COVID restrictions, and yet it's uh, sunk into contraction. Yes, it's not been um, very quick, the opening up, and uh, still there's a long way to go in the opening up uh, for tourism, particularly. Uh, But Japan is definitely welcoming tourists now. Uh, But bear in mind that the Japanese yen has fallen a lot, and um, and, and that's causing imports, which uh, um, Japan relies on for fuel and and, and many other areas. Uh, It's increasing the cost of imports. It's pushing up um, inflation, and uh, GDP has uh, struggled as a result of all of this. So, um, yes, the Japanese economy is, um, is probably not doing as well as it would like, but then that's true of many places around the world, frankly, at the moment. Um, and Japan, like other places, was in a form of lockdown for, for a very long time, mm-hmm. an extended period, and uh, so that, that won't have helped too much either. Barry, can I get your comments on the U.S. data uh, that came out overnight? The producer price index, which is a measure of wholesale inflation, up 0.2%, but well below economists' forecasts of 0.4%. On an annual basis, it rose 8%, and that's well below uh, the peak, which was 11.7% in March. If we combine this uh, with also the decline in the consumer price index that we saw um, last week, are you seeing signs that inflation is peaking, or is it too early to say with just this one month of data? No, I think you're right. I think we do see signs that inflation has probably peaked. And you mentioned March. There was a CPI figure of 11%. And now we're down to what? On the CPI, consumer prices, down to 7.7% for year-on-year through October. That's a significant improvement. Of course, it's still too high, but I would point out that probably there are some smiles in the Federal Reserve building because they're probably going to go to a 50 basis point rise in December, and they see an accumulation of good signs. Look at the jobs report from October, 261 
100,000 jobs created in October, the unemployment rate at 3.5%. So you've got a lot of strength in the United States economy, plus you had a rather significant rebound in the equity markets in October, and that has been continuing. So I think that the Fed might be saying to, among themselves, they might be saying, hey, it's working. This is all working. And we're probably on the track for a soft landing if we can just continue. But I think you're right, Peter. We have seen probably the peak. And that very, was very way back in March. So the Fed would be surprised that their actions are working. <laughs> well, look. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've heard all this business about the lag, right? Yeah. And uh, if we're talking March, that is almost, uh, what, uh, seven months in the rearview mirror. But, mm. you know, there's we haven't really seen a slowing economy to the extent that the Fed wants it, which is why, of course, rates will go up in early December once again when the yep. Fed meets. But, yeah, I think the Fed is, is, uh, is pleased and uh, probably... There were so many naysayers, Stuart, who were yeah. saying, hold it, you're, you're going to chuck this economy right into recession. That has not happened. William, we've got this trifecta of good news now for, uh, for Chinese markets and, and Hong Kong stocks here as well, haven't we? We've got signs of inflation peaking in the U.S., which is good for uh, prospective rate rises. We've got uh, the support for the property sector. We've also got the relaxation of COVID restrictions. It's already sent the Hang Seng up 25% uh, in November. Where do, you see us, uh, where do you see us going from here as we move into the end of the year? William? Well, we, we are, uh, well, we are seeing, you know, uh, we are worrying. Actually, some of the domestic fund manager is on the China-Asia market. The rally would be too quick. Because if you look at, you know, back in two, three years ago, you know, when the market get excited, you know, you got 20, 30% rally in two months. So that is kind of like a sign of, you know, really quick bull. So I think the Hong Kong market rebound is reasonable. And China, Asia, if we have, you know, very strong, you know, rally in uh, November and December, I think we will take some, you know, chips off the table. But so far, you know, I think a lot of investors are still catching up. So it's not on the dangerous, you know, level yet. Do you see this as a sign that uh, the Chinese government's priority now is the economy? It's not fighting COVID anymore. It is the economy trying to support the property sector and trying to give a boost to the economy? Yes, actually, it's, it's early sign, but I think it's too soon to make a conclusion. Uh, we're expecting more uh, details. But so far, if you look at the market reaction, and if you ask us, you know, about a month ago, we didn't expect, you know, the real estate stimulus, the COVID policy to come out so quick and, uh, you know, uh, so details. I think the next step, if you like, is uh, infrastructure, you know, uh, physical policy, you know, stimulus. I think the monetary policy part is done. And then uh, lastly, unemployment. I think one of the risks is still unemployment rate in October is quite high. So from a fundamental perspective, you know, uh, that, that type of, you know, kind of economic data need to be solid for a longer term, you know, recovery of the uh, Asia market. Now it's, it's sentiment driven. I don't think we should assume too much, though, Peter, because um, as we're seeing in China, a very rapid rise in the number of COVID cases. And we know what um, the attitude is 
in the uh, leadership in China towards COVID, if, if those numbers start getting up into six digits rather than the five that they are at the moment, there are over 10,000 a day new cases. So if they get up into the 100,000 a day, I, I wouldn't mind betting that we'd start to see a revert, return back to some, some forms of lockdown because the, the, the Chinese are very bothered about how COVID can spread so quickly within their population. What is the situation, William, in Shanghai? Is there any sort of lockdown, even if it's just sort of small local districts, or is, are things operating normally up there? Now, I would say uh, 90% normally there are small district lockdown if there are, you know, cases. And um, some of the rules, you know, for example, uh, if you got infected, you know, or you go to other, you know, provinces, come back, then your children cannot go to school, I think, uh, for three days. I think that that is part of the reason why, you know, consumption in October and early part of November is kind of like uh, reducing down. So I would say it's getting normal, but definitely not fully normal because, as, you know, Barry mentioned uh, and Stuart mentioned, the cases are going up, you know, uh, more than, you know, before the new kind of like COVID lockdown policy. So I I would say um, the number could be increased, you know, further. Okay, well, before we finish, I want to get the three of you to see your thoughts on digital assets and the FTX uh, collapse. Should remind you that actually FTX was founded here in Hong Kong and it still remains on the city's corporate registry. It moved its headquarters to the Bahamas in September 2021, so it's not registered with the SFC, which will be required uh, to operate as an exchange for digital assets. But elsewhere, Barry, including in the US, the regulators um, are circulating, aren't they? Um, There's been questions asked in Congress um, about this. How big a concern is it uh, for, for authorities in the US? Very big, because people don't really know how big this thing is going to be. It is uh, interesting that uh, the head of the bankrupt company was in Washington lobbying very heavily for light regulation of crypto exchanges. He didn't want the Securities and Exchange Commission to regulate crypto. We know why, don't we now? Something. Yes, exactly. But and he also was a very big donor, second to George Soros, in contributing to the Democratic Party in the just completed elections. But here he is in the Bahamas. Is he going to try to stay there or is he going to to flee? And are the Americans going to go after him? When you look at the people who are talking about this, they say this could be as big as Lehman Brothers, but probably is not. And it's very similar to what happened in 2000. And it's also Bernie Madoff going all the way back to whatever year that was. So this is a... And and you see a lot of the crypto people who are on the defensive saying, hold it, we do want regulation. And they are afraid that this scandal is going to affect the entire industry. But we're at early innings on this. And uh, it's it's very hard to know what's going to happen. Stuart, what does this mean for Hong Kong? Because whilst regulations now are being called to be tightened around the world, Hong Kong wants to be a a hub for digital assets. It wants to allow retail investors to be able to trade them. Does it set back those plans? Well, although the financial secretary has said that it does not set back those plans, I think in reality it probably will do. I think that I mean, one of the biggest issues with cryptocurrency and exchange is confidence, and confidence has suddenly evaporated as a result of this issue. 
And uh, I think it's going to be quite difficult for, for the um, people who want to set up to get a lot of support in, 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 in the next few months. Uh, and that's really the, the key is, uh, issue. Um, and, and probably for the moment, although, although Hong Kong generally has been unaffected by the FTX collapse, apparently, um, it, we nevertheless sort of have to look and see what will happen next and, and how we will go about um, ensuring that these sorts of collapses don't occur again. William, final word to you very quickly. Um, on the mainland, obviously, um, it's pretty well banned, isn't it, trading in cryptocurrencies? Yes, you know, still the case. But I think from a global investor perspective, you know, digital asset is an asset class that has made its, you know, name, and I don't think it will go away. It just, you know, needs some rec- more regulations. Okay, well, thank you for your thoughts. That was William Mark, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. You also heard Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Quick look around markets in the Asia-Pacific region this morning. In Australia, slipping further into the red, the SX200 down half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is now down 0.8%. The Cosby uh, down almost 1%. And looks like Hong Kong stocks are going to slide at the open with the Hang Seng down about 120 points. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Please join me then. Stay tuned for Back Chat after the news with Jim Gordon and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast. Mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches in the morning. Sunny intervals during the day. The maximum temperature is going to be around 26 degrees. And then the outlook is for it to be mainly cloudy on Thursday and then sunny periods in the following few days. Temperature right now is 23 degrees, 84% relative humidity. Time's 8.32. Here's Barry O'Rourke with our half-hour news. The government says it vehemently refutes a report by a U.S. congressional committee saying its comments were slanderous and ill-intentioned. It urged the United States to stop maliciously interfering in Hong Kong affairs. Vicky Wong reports. The government says the United States China Economic and Security Review Commission has again made up excuses which deviate from the facts to maliciously slander the national security law. It said all actions by law enforcement agencies were evidence-based and law-abiding. Meanwhile, the SAR had an independent judiciary and the government was firmly committed to upholding the rights and freedoms enjoyed by Hong Kong residents. The government also defended electoral changes that ensure patriots administer Hong Kong. It said no one in any region in the world would allow political power to fall into the hands of forces who betray their own country. It described recent LegCo and chief executive elections as open, fair and honest, demonstrating broad representation and political inclusiveness. Poland says it's putting some military units on a heightened state of alert after an explosion killed two people near the border with Ukraine. Unconfirmed reports say the blast may have been caused by a stray Russian missile. Poland's National Security Council has been holding an emergency session and President Andrzej Duda has been talking to President Biden. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said the alliance was monitoring the situation. The BBC's Jeremy Bowen has this report. Working out exactly what happened is vital. The North Atlantic Treaty says an attack on one member is an attack on the whole alliance. It follows a day of missile attacks on Ukraine, one of the biggest since the war began. Most of Ukraine's major cities were hit. Attacking the infrastructure of a city is a common tactic in war, trying to pressure a government by making the lives of civilians hard. 
Ukraine's president said it wouldn't work. Russia's defense ministry has said there were no missile strikes near the Poland-Ukraine border and called the reports a provocation. Divisions over Ukraine overshadowed the first full days of talks in Bali between leaders of the group of 20 major economies. A draft communique said most G20 members condemned Moscow, but also acknowledged other assessments. The BBC's Jonathan Head reports from Bali. Russia is a member of the group, and while President Putin stayed away from this meeting, he was represented by his foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. He had to listen to his government being denounced by some G20 leaders and to an impassioned speech delivered from Kiev via video link by President Zelensky. Western leaders want this gathering of the world's largest economies to deliver a resounding condemnation of Russia's actions in 